Our scripture, I'm going to change just a little bit from the Old Testament. We're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 8, and that's page 430 in the Bench Bibles. If you wish to follow the reading, we'll read there only the verses 19 through 22, and then the sermon will begin with an Old Testament lesson and then a new. In 1 Samuel 8, we have a transition point in Israel's history that's very relevant for us today. God had been ruling directly over the people, God's word being announced through the prophets uh, by whom the people were reminded of how God was to rule. But then in 1 Samuel 8, when Samuel's old, the people ask for a king like the nations around them. And God relents and says, okay, give them a king. But the important point in Romans 8 is that God is still king of kings and ruler of rulers. And there's a lot of warnings about human kings and governments that need to be heeded. They like to pretend they're God. We're going to read only a few verses there at the end, beginning at verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the men of Israel, everyone, go back to his town. And then we turn over to the New Testament lesson, Matthew chapter 5, page 1501 in the Bench Bibles, reading the verses 13 and following these words. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. These the very words of God. The sermon this morning is follow-up to the 4th of July Independence Day. For many years I have had an Independence Day sermon, including, I might say, among you, and that continues now. My hope this morning, put in sort of a general way, is that you will not only have enjoyed the 4th of July in your own way, which often in the United States is a midsummer fun day, holiday becomes fun day, but also that the holiday may be a genuine holy day for you 
through this follow-up. We're going to begin with 1 Samuel 8 and review briefly what's said there. I'd like you to notice God's word from 1 Samuel 8 about God's role as guide for human government. That's important. And then we'll move on to Matthew 5, 13 and 14 and notice that God calls us to be salt and light, including in our nations. And then third, as we have time, we'll notice from our nation's history some specific ways to be salt and light. And then fourth, and sort of in conclusion, a kind of uh, uh, a little list of selected Bible verses with helpful how-to suggestions, how to be salt and light in our nation. So, first from 1 Samuel 8, especially verses 10 through 21, please notice God's word about God's role as guide to human government. I can sort of illustrate it this way. God should be on top. God is the government of the universe. Our very language shows a problem here. When we speak of the government, we usually mean Washington, D.C. Uh, but Washington, D.C., with the three branches of our federal government, based on, by the way, Trinity, those three branches are human government of the nation, not the government. God is the government of the universe. Now, here's what's going on in 1 Samuel 8. God had been governing directly over his people, but his people were in rebellion, partly legitimately. Samuel's sons weren't worthy to take Samuel's place, and there was no other prophet on the horizon to say exactly what God's ways were and God's law was and God's leadership meant. And so the people saw these nations around, that they had kings and kings lead nations, and they, they said to Samuel, we'd like a king to lead us. Well, all right. There's some rejection of both God and Samuel there, but yet God says, let them have their king. Now, here is the point. God is not renouncing the fact that God is the governor of the universe, not for one moment, or that God's law should be the law of every nation, not at all. What is happening is this. God is saying, go forward now in history. Don't deny me, but whatever your form of government, be it kingship, be it a federal government like we have in the U.S. A whole book was written, by the way, calling our government a democracy. It's not. It's too close to one. Democracies always fail when the majority finds out they can vote for themselves largesse or money from the minority, and some of that's happening. But our forefathers knew that. We're a republic with three branches of government, not a democracy. 
Um, but whether it be a kingship, a democracy, a dictatorship, and on and on and on, whatever, God remains the governor of the universe, and whatever your form of government is, God is not irrelevant. He hasn't retired. He's not way out beyond the blue. He is still king of kings, lord of lords. And now here are the let me give you several key words of God uh, of what God should be in nations including ours. How about guide? God should be the guide to our government in Washington DC or salt and light, which I'll get to very soon. Or, for some of you and some businesses, the blueprint. Your blueprints guide you. Uh, your draftsmen draft models, you know, and blueprints and so on to guide you in building, etc. Um, those are the kind of words that define what God really is and should be recognized as in this United States. And in 1 Samuel 8, what you're getting is God saying to the people through Samuel, all right, you want a king, fine. But watch out, because kings tend to act as if they're gods. It's awful hard for them to be under God. They try to be over God. And you'll know they're trying to be over God when they do things like demand more than the tithe. That's in 1 Samuel 8. Or make slaves, servants out of your sons and daughters, or make you do what they want. See, that's where the problem comes in. So therefore, we want to acknowledge that God is the government over human governments, the governor of governors, and the governor of the people being governed. And if anyone denies that, Watch out, especially for human governments acting as if they're God and enslaving citizens and ruining nations. We have a little statement to that effect. Power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now God's people should be warned of those dangers. The big one to me I have in my notes I shared with you. Uh, we all know the real authorities in the United States are the majority of the Supreme Court. And when my dad was interviewed in Grand Rapids on his 90th birthday about history in that city, car radio on the way home from that interview said, uh, Supreme Court found a new right, the right to uh, homosexuality and homosexual practice. And my dad said, well, what did the court say about the Bible? And the answer is nothing. The Bible wasn't considered. See, it was thrown out. And the real authority on the subject became five out of nine Supreme Court justices whose own whims and fancies made law. They didn't even pretend to be making decisions based on the U.S. Constitution any more than the Bible. They just decided on something they supposedly found, their opinions. And you're in trouble when you get mere human opinion setting aside God. That's the point of 1 Samuel 8, but now we have to move on. It's not that, it's not that you are completely denied 
a role in this nation, not at all. Matthew 5 reminds you that you still have opportunity to be salt and light. And what I would like to do, maybe a bit carefully here, or quickly, is remind you of ways that you can be salt and light in this United States. We'll be just a bit theoretical here, but sermons should be practical, and then I'll get to the practical. Matthew 5, at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. That means you have opportunity. You have a call from God, a challenge from God, to be salt-like, including in this nation of ours. So how can we be salt-like? Five things salt does that you can be in our nation. The first thing that salt does is it's important to life and health. I used to work in a greenhouse, and you probably thought it was hot a few days this week, and it was, and we used to have to live through that. We never heard of air conditioning, but if it was hot outdoors, it was hotter in the greenhouse, much more so. And uh, we had to take a salt pill at every break because the medical wisdom then, and I think it's still true, was if you get too low with salt in the body, you will be unhealthy and even in danger of death. Um, we were preserved with salt pills. It's a little bit like beef jerky nowadays. Uh, well, that's the second thing. The first was give life and health. And um, we have a call from God to be the life and health of our nation, and your nation needs you to be salt. Second thing, then, is preserve. Think of beef jerky. It's salty beef, and the salt preserves the meat. And we have a call from God to be preservers in our nation. The third thing is salt flavors. Going quickly, but I'll summarize internally soon. People pour salt from salt shakers onto food, and it flavors. We can and should be a good flavor in our nation. And your nation needs you to be that. Now the fourth thing is salt purifies, as in water softeners. I don't think you have that here. I think you have Lake Michigan water, but where I live in Indiana, we got to be pouring salt in the water softener all the time to clean and purify the iron in St. John water. We can and should be cleansing, purifying agents in our nation. Your nation needs you to be that. And the last thing salt does that I note here is makes people thirsty. We have a call from God and the privilege of making our nation thirsty for God. Now, that's five things quickly, but let me repeat. And I want you to get the feeling of God's call and challenge to you 
in your nation. We have God's call and challenge to be people who make our nation healthy and well, to preserve our nation amidst the threats that come from the evil in it, to flavor our nation with godliness, to be cleansing, purifying agents in our nation, and to make the people of this country thirsty for God. Now you can say, and maybe you will, you've got to get practical, and I will in a minute. Just let me try to get you to feel the text first. But what I need you to recognize and feel is the important role that you have as salt in our Savior's statement, you are the salt of the world. Now let's go on to light a minute, um, and then we'll go on to the third point, light. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, you are the light of the world. That means you are to be light-like in the world, and of course our nation is included in the nations of the world. You are to be light-like in your nation. Well, what does light do? I have four things here. For one thing, it lights up the darkness. Turn on the light, the darkness goes away. There's a lot of darkness in our nation. We are called to be light in that darkness. Another thing light does is lead the way. Bible times, they had foot lamps. You put a, a lamp, usually with olive oil or some other agent, on a foot, and it led you along. Or a hand lamp. We have thousands of those from archaeology. You held it in front of you, and the light led the way. Dear Christians, your call from God is to be light, to light up, and lead the way in our nation. Again, feel it. The third thing light does is exposes the wrong. When my wife and I were in seminary, we lived in a poor part of town. One neighbor came over and said, the neighbor on the other side has an infestation of cockroaches. I said, oh. And he said, they spread from house to house. I said, oh, no. And uh, I said, but I don't know what those little critters look like. How will I know a cockroach when I see one? He says, I'll tell you one thing. Do this. Turn on the light at night. And if you see some little buggy scampering for the corner, you probably got cockroaches. Oh, okay. Um, but light exposes the wrong. And then the last thing, and this may be the most important, light reflects. We have, for instance, in the sky the sunlight, and we have a moon, and sunlight reflects off the moon to planet Earth. And we can see it on a cloudless night. We have a call and challenge from God to be 
reflectors of God's light through us to others in our nation. Once again, you've really probably got more than a handful, but let me give an internal summary here. God calls and challenges you and me in our nation to light up the darkness, to lead the way, to expose the wrong, and to reflect God to our nation. What a challenge. Now you face lots of opposition in lots of ways. You'll hear things like, and some of the talk is so crude, I'm only going to say one thing I consider half crude because I don't want a crude talk in church, but here's the half crude thing. Don't jam your God down my throat, you know. And you hear a lot worse crude talk here. And that crude talk is to silence you, put you down, make you feel embarrassed, ashamed, and not do what you're called to do in this nation, be salt and light. Don't let the put-downs stop you from being salt and light. And then in addition, you get other challenges like uh, separation of church and state, which in effect means uh, keep God out of the government when he should be over the government, not under it. Not only keep God out of the government, keep anything about God out of the public sphere so that the devil and humanism can rule there and you just put your God between the walls of your church. Dear friends, those attitudes are a denial of a lot of things. The one we mentioned was that God should be over, and again I'll use that word guide or light to nations. Also a denial, by the way, that Jesus on the throne at the right hand of the Father has the right to rule. We confess he sits at the right hand of the Father. Also a denial of God's kingdom, thy kingdom come, doesn't just mean hurry up God with the second coming. It doesn't mean that at all. It means may your kingdom come in and through us, including in our hearts and in our lives and in our communities and in our nations. See? So there's so much here. One one more thing. In Christian history, there was a movement some centuries ago that theologians call pietism or heart religion. And that's good. Of course our religion should begin in our hearts. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says if we confess in our hearts and with our mouths, we're saved. So true religion is a matter of the heart, of course, and begins there. But if true religion is only a matter of the heart and irrelevant to life out there and irrelevant to communities and irrelevant to nations, then heart religion has been way too much reduced True religion is about all of life. And this week I announced to you, dear friends, in light of the Bible perspective of God as light to the nations, light from above, you have God's call to be salt and light. Now, those are the first two points. Third, a little bit, and then fourth, how can we be salt and light? 
Listen to the First Amendment to our Constitution. It reads this way. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. What that means is no established church. The Founding Fathers did not like it that the Anglican Church was the established church in England, as was the Lutheran Church in Germany, the Dutch Reformed in the Netherlands. No established church. And then reading again, and listen to the second clause. The first was, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now your enemies are going to slam you down, and I'll say it once again. It's it crude the way they say it. Shut up about your God in public life. That's not what the First Amendment says. That's not what God calls you to do at all. The First Amendment, rightly interpreted, gives you the right to speak up. It just says don't have the Christian Reformed denomination or any other be an established church. Now, some 30 years later, Thomas Jefferson did mention a wall of separation in a letter to the Danbury Baptist when he was a doddering old man. He lived a long life. The wall of separation is between government and an established church, not between government and religion. And so be salt and light. I want you to listen one more to one more quotation that uh, I gave you last year too, but it's a ground for why I preach a sermon like this. It's from Alexis de Tocqueville, the Frenchman. In 1831, he says, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields, and boundless forests. It was not there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system, and in her institutions of higher learning. It was not there. I looked for it in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution. It was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. That's his way of saying it. Christian, be salt, be light in your nation. That word's needs to be sounded loud and clear. Well, just a couple of other things here. In 1939, Irving Berlin, the Jew, <laughs> wrote God Bless America, and I'm sure he was thinking as a Jew, but in this case, Jews and Christians are in the same way. Listen to this in light of our text. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her. Remember that word guide I used earlier? That's God's role in today's world. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. You're to reflect God's light. That's what Berlin wrote. The Pledge of Allegiance, 1954, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, one more thing here. 
because someone spoke to me earlier who was just lambasted and pasted because he was not in favor of the 1973 decision by our Supreme Court, Roe v. Wade, that made abortion legal. And he was pasted as being against women and this and that and the whole bunch of things you hear from that crowd. He said, how do I respond to that? And here was my answer. You respond with a smile and kindly this way. You say, in 1857, the United States Supreme Court in the Dred Scott case said blacks were non-persons, only property. And that's true. And we fought a civil war over it. You say, I believe that blacks are persons. And I believe that unborn babies are babies are persons. And that's why with the 1973 decision that to me was one of the two worst decisions right along with that one I told you about blacks uh, that the court ever made, I'm in favor of not murdering preborn babies, but giving them life. Just try saying that. That's, that's how to be salt and light in a very practical way. And I'm sure some of you can think of other ways to be salt and light. Now, fourth and to conclude, just hear a few verses of very practical things you can do to be salt and light. One of them is this. From 1 Kings 18.21, Elijah on Mount Carmel, he went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Well, you can say something. Speak up. Like I recommended with the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. That's number one, speak up. Number two is wise up. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Wise up about what needs to be done in our nation. Number three is repent. 2 Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Part of the problem is Christians who are living in sin, or if they're not living in sin, aren't speaking up, wising up, and praying for their nations. Next, warn. Proverbs 14.34, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Next, denounce woe on those who call evil good and good evil. Isaiah 5, 20 to 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light. Say so you need to be the light of the world and light for darkness. And then last, 
pray. 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Dear Christians, go out from today's worship as salt and light in your nation. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, thank you for the challenges of Scripture. We will hear, we will heed. We will be Christians in our hearts, within the walls of this church, in our communities, and in any and every way we can, even in the very broad way of national Christian influence. Amen.